You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. As far as the futures market goes, so much of it is dependent upon world trade that with all the beef coming out of America and going elsewhere, it'd be very hard to make a call and say, now would be a good time to jump into that because you just don't know. You'd probably, probably be better off shorting it, even though that you would think that a comeback is coming. You know, all it would take would be for another large buyer of exported U.S. beef to say we're shutting down and just like that, straight down again. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. Well, we focus a lot on the precious metals and different investment vehicles in the mining sector, but we also from time to time focus on natural resource investing, which includes mining, but also includes things like agriculture and such. Uh, True wealth comes from the earth, whether it's mined, dug out of the earth uh, via mining companies or, or whether it's raised, whether it's agriculture, cotton, cattle, lambs, chicken. And so as I've been just seeing how various things have been impacted by this worldwide crisis, I've taken a note of how it's affected the U.S. cattle industry, where cattle futures have been plummeting, yet at the same time that cattle futures in the U.S. have been going down, ground beef prices have risen as much as three times since the beginning of the March. So I have a good friend. Uh, Our families have been friends for about 10 years. His name is Ben Smith. He is a small cattle farmer uh, near Lansing, Michigan, which is my state's capital, right in the middle and lower half of the lower peninsula of Michigan. Ben has extensive experience on the processing side prior to starting his own cattle farm. And he's been cattle farming now for several years. So he understands the whole supply chain. And I asked him to come on the show today to share his insights and his perspective of what's going on and what possible investment opportunities might arise out of this crisis. So Ben, uh, it's nice to talk to you in this format. Welcome to Mining Stock Education. And just so listeners could get to know you a little more, could you share a little bit more about your background and how did you come to start your farm? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Um, I grew up in Detroit and my dad had worked at a meatpacking company there. Uh, for his only job, 40 years. And I went to work there out of college after I did a couple other jobs first. I went there uh, for about nine years and um, it was a meat distributor and a processor in downtown Detroit. Uh, Substantial volume goes through Detroit as a city uh, from out west, moving out east and then back and forth. Um, But I did that for about nine years and because of some health issues that our family had, we think related to the meat that we were getting from there, it's just commodity meat. Um, we decided that we were going to farm and produce it ourselves. We had been buying from farms and we found that it helped us uh, in our health. And so we decided to make the change. We bought a hundred acres out here, sold everything, uh, moved out here in 2014 and got to know some of the producers on this side of the state and, Uh, Just started to make a go of it, Uh, grass-fed beef, uh, some other items, basically whatever we can produce on 100 acres, and um, not thinking that moving to a farm and raising our own meat would have anything to do with my prior experience at the meatpacking company. Um, And people had been telling me that, are you able to use anything that you've learned from the meatpacking industry on the farm? And I thought, no, probably not, but 
Um, I really, it really has helped out a lot in knowing what people like to eat, how they like it cut. And now it's even more applicable with uh, everything that's going on in the beef industry and being able to understand it as opposed to just being totally confused and living out here uh, on a hundred acres, kind of in the middle of nowhere here in Michigan. Could you, Ben, just give us a simplistic overview of the cattle supply chain from start to end as could we begin our discussion there? The majority of cattle in our country uh, is, uh, comes from cow calf operations, which is where the rancher owns a bull or multiple bulls and cows. They have calves. They raise those calves to a certain point and then they just start to grow and move out. And from there they will go to another farm or they'll go right to a feedlot. And then from the feedlot, uh, they go to an auction or directly to the meat packers who then package them, uh, process them, package them, box them, store them, and then sell them. And there's currently about 600 to 600,000 head per week that are being slaughtered uh, in the U.S. for beef. Uh, so we're by far the largest in the world and it is feeding the world to some degree because of export, uh, but uh, a good portion of that goes to food service and then a good portion of it uh, goes to retail and a good portion of it gets frozen, Uh, but a lot of it is fresh and it's just a constant cycle and the packers control the prices and the packers control how much they pay for the live animals that they buy and contract directly for and ship directly to their processing facilities. Uh, so they are the drivers of that world. So they are the key manipulators. Could I use that term? Yes, they control everything. Um, in fact, the largest packers will own a substantial amount of the farms or the feedlots where they get the beef from because that further insulates them from price fluctuations if they can control that part of it too. In fact, Cargill, the second largest, uh, I believe owns a good portion of everything from start to finish, the seeds, the land, the grain, all the way through to the box beef. So as I mentioned in my introduction, we have the regular price of ground beef skyrocketing, going up three times, 200%, but at the same time, cattle futures are plummeting. So are the processors to blame for this? Well, since they're the ones who set the prices, uh, then they can decide what they're going to buy, where they're going to buy it and who they're going to buy it from. So if you are a rancher and you have say 5,000 head of cattle that you take to the auction when they're ready to go in and you already know that date uh, to the day when they're ready to go in and you go there and they're paying you 30 to 40% less then you just have to take it. There's, there's really no other option. The cattle have to be gone or At that point, the rancher has to continue to feed them or the feedlot has to continue to feed them and money is gone out of their pocket with no, the current situation, no end in sight because they don't know when the markets are going to go up or when the the packers are going to pay more. So right now, uh, the packers are setting the prices that they're paying for the cattle, but then they're setting the prices based on the demand when they sell them to the food service companies and the retailers like Costco and Kroger and your nationwide retailers. So they're in charge of both of those prices. And then they're also in charge of how many hours of production they put in at their processing plants. When you add the government into that, telling them that they need to be closed or that half of their supply chain is closed, which is the food service distributors, 
then you get into a situation where we have to raise the price on the retail items because we're not getting paid anything for the food service items. And then we have to close the plants because we're being told that there's people there that are sick, so they have to be closed. So there's the processors, the packers, they could legitimately point to the COVID-19 crisis as the cause of this, and they couldn't only rightfully be accused of price gouging. Right. Um, And it's not really price gouging when you think about how much it actually costs to produce a beef animal. It takes 16 to 18 months minimum. And if you were planning on getting paid $12 a pound for a good 25% of it, if you're getting paid a certain amount of money for it, and then the other half you were selling for just a couple bucks just to keep it moving, uh, you can. there's nothing you could do when the, that other half goes away except freeze it or add it to the cheaper product. And when I say that, I mean grinding up the more expensive parts of the animal because you have to. And I think there's some of that going on because the price of ground beef is so high, but I think it's more because um, they can close these plants because they're being told to close the plants. That's certainly part of it, but it's also convenient to close the plants because they're not getting paid anything uh, for half the product. So if they just continued at the exact same levels, you could see the, the glut of product that would flood the market. So if the government says, okay, everybody back to work and all the state governors, including ours says, go back to work. Would they even be able the processors to, to function and process at 100% capacity again, or with all the restrictions, the face mask, the six feet away, is this the capacity potential of this business not even where it was prior to this crisis? Uh, for sure. If, if they, the other factor here is you've got employees there who may or may not be very healthy individuals to begin with, and they are afraid and they they're, they're feeling susceptible to the virus. So just like with the auto companies that we've seen here in Detroit, they're demanding to be temperature checked, spaced out. I I was listening to the Detroit radio yesterday and they were talking about how uh, there's going to be like a six or seven point safety check before you can enter uh, General Motors to start work. So that's going to take time. Uh, Meatpacking, you know, everything is by the second basically. And then the, the assembly lines are tighter than auto auto industry. They're, lined up just right next to each other, right on top of each other. And if you have to space them out, then I just don't see the only thing you could really do is open up more plants, spread people out more, which uh, they could do, except that's going to cost a lot of money too. Um, So there are many different layers of it here, but at the same time, if they cut everything back and if they have freezer inventory, which, is documented somewhere. I don't know where it is, but um, there is an agency that keeps track of freezer storage in our country. They could lean on that right now and get paid premium dollar for that while they deal with all of this. With uh, the supply chain and the resumption of normalcy, what would be one of the key things we would look for? Would it be the restaurants opening back up? I mean, and even when they open back up, my expectation is that 40% of them won't open back up. Yeah, if they're hanging on by a thread, there's no way. Uh, I don't think there's any amount of stimulus money that's going to be able to 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 get them to come back uh, because you have that um, unemployment factor too, where people are getting paid way more than they were to wash dishes at a restaurant. Uh, so, um, but yes, 
if if those open back up, I've been watching the prices of some of these uh, higher commodities like beef tenderloin and New York strips and um, the ribeyes, and they're back up where they were before. Uh, and that tells me that somebody is anticipating them uh, being worth something again sometime soon. So they're buying them and freezing them, or they're buying them and cutting them and then freezing them. These these expensive cuts to prepare. There was a time when they were less than ground beef is right now. So um, I would look for, yeah, the restaurants to be open now, obviously, because I mean, Cisco is a very large company that distributes basically to every city in the country food service, and they only go to restaurants. They don't do really any retail at all. So when you start to see their trucks on the road, when you start to see restaurants reopen, then that means meat is going through that portion of the system. But right now, I don't see any of that going on, at least in Michigan. You mentioned Cisco. You're speaking to investors right now. This is an investing podcast. With you knowing the supply chain, being a farmer, cattle farmer yourself, where might be some investment possibilities that could arise out of this crisis? Well, there's um, there's public companies, and but a lot of the uh, companies that are in the meat industry are privately owned, you know, families that have started a company and it's just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And then you've got the really large companies that are owned by other countries or companies in other countries that whether or not they're even public, I'm not sure. I know Smithfield would not be because they're in China, but, um, but as far as an investment opportunity goes, uh, as things ramp back up again, it's very hard to say because, uh, we don't know beef is a luxury. And if, if the true cost of producing it was factored into the price that it sells for, uh, most people wouldn't be able to afford it, which is why in other countries, beef at a restaurant or beef in a, a grocery store is extremely expensive that you don't, you're not usually eating it if you go overseas. Um, so there's going to be a, a bit of a breakdown in that, I think. And it's already, you can see it at the stores where to invest in that side of it. Um, you're going to have to look for something that uh, is not susceptible to a, some type of a government intervention and that can survive and thrive. Yeah. You're going to have to look for something that can survive and thrive, uh, when the government gets involved or, uh, when, there's mandates put in place that a packer would have to comply with. Uh, you're going to have to look for something that can, can go around that or can navigate through that. And the only way to do that is to look to smaller rather than bigger. And as far as an investment opportunity goes, that makes it kind of tricky. Um, I don't know, you know, how, what it looks like from a behind a desk or from a speculative position to look at investing in the meat business. Um, especially like I said before, because a lot of them are, are private companies, but um, there's certainly going to be a, a much greater need for processing on a micro level instead of these massive meat packing plants. Cause if they're going to go back to work and they've got to be six feet apart, more meat is going to be traded at a local level as than it is at this national level like this. I'm sure cattle ranchers out West would not agree or would not like to hear that, but there is a company that is out in Oregon and it's a group of like, I want to say 200 or 300 farms and it's a co-op and they literally have annual meetings where they all stand around in a circle. 
they invite all their suppliers and they set their prices for the entire year and they've got their processing book for the entire year and it's some, you know, 5,000 head or something like that per quarter and it goes straight to the stores and it, I, I met the guy last fall and I, I'm wondering how they're doing, but I'm guessing in all this, they are doing just fine. Uh, except for the fact that, again, they have to use a large processor in order to get their stuff done. And if that processor closes, there is nowhere else to go. So you, you really have to keep looking smaller in order to see where the investment opportunities are. That makes sense. What about uh, speculating in the futures market? Do you think that's futility now with cattle prices this low? What would be your thoughts here? It would be hard. It would be hard to to make a to make a definitive call on that because a lot of that future speculation is based on export too. And some of these countries. I mean, I was listening to uh, another uh, program on the radio yesterday, and they were hailing Argentina for their um, arrest and lockdown and. Uh, you can get um, arrested and fined if you go outside right from the start, March 20th on and, um, and how they're, they're claiming that their president is, uh, is making all the right moves. And, and this is, he's saving lives and, and this is the future. And when you hear stuff like that um, spread out, like that should be a good idea. Then, um, then you look at futures and you say, well, what about the beef that would be imported or exported from there? You have no control over it now if the government says uh, you're going to be arrested for going outside uh, because that's the best way to save lives. So it would be hard to jump into futures and say beef is going to make a comeback uh, when you've got other countries that are, are hailing people that have made decisions of shutting everything down completely. Um, so that, that makes it tricky. But then again, you look at it and you say, well, on a local level, people still have to eat. So is there a way to tap into that when everything else is not looking so rosy, but then you've got people that still have to eat. So how are they getting their food then? You know, if, they, if they're not allowed to go out to eat and they're on lockdown, but maybe they're allowed to go to their local store or maybe they're allowed to do something on their own, you know, how, what would that look like for investing? It, that's where it gets very confusing. But as far as the futures market goes, so much of it is dependent upon world trade that uh, with all the beef coming out of America and going elsewhere, uh, it's, it'd be very hard to, uh, to make a call and say, now would be a good time to jump into that because you just don't know. I mean, I, it would be, you'd probably, probably be better off shorting it rather than, uh, than even though that you would think that a comeback is coming, you know, all it would take would be for another large buyer of exported U.S. beef to say we're shutting down and just like that, straight down again. Well, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, what practical advice would you like to leave with my listeners? There's a lot of U.S. listeners, but there's also listeners from Canada and all over the world, actually, that are listening to this conversation regarding their families uh, securing the food they need for their family. Is there any practical advice you'd like to leave us with, Ben? I think uh, a lot of people have been coming to me and saying, uh, are you happy with the decisions that you made in 2014 when you went out to your farm? And um, I wouldn't call us self-sufficient because we are still relying on our processors in order to run our business. But the practical advice uh, would be to make yourself as anti-fragile as you can in that when something like this happens, we had quite a few customers, I believe, including yourself, that had loaded up chest freezers prior to this 
And, you know, we had people that were looking for food, which all investments aside, we all need food in order to survive. And they did not have a chest freezer and they did not have a way to get food that week. And they did not have a way to find a chest freezer. Uh, they had other food, obviously, you know, processed food and whatnot, but, but the food that you need in order to sustain yourself, uh, they didn't have a way to get it or they didn't have a way to store it once if they wanted to bulk up on it at all. So thinking anti-fragile when the government is um, taking a hand in matters such as food is a wise way to think. Excellent advice. And I do buy from Ben. I usually buy a half a cow at a time and put it in the deep freeze and eat it over a period of time, grass-fed, grass-finished. Uh, if you're in lower Michigan or northern Indiana or northern Ohio and you want to buy from Ben, his website is thesmithfamilyfarm.net. Ben, uh, you're a good friend and uh, I like your meat and I appreciate our friendship. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. And don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.